Amen. Thank you, Bob. Good morning, everybody. Uh, This is the uh, last week in our Not in the Bible series, and next week we'll have a special Mother's Day message, so make sure you invite your mom, your sister, your daughter, anybody that you want to invite to come and be a part of, of Mother's Day here. And then in two weeks, that is the week that we will officially charter as a church after nine long years will be official. And, uh, and that's also going to be the beginning of a new series called We Have Our Heading, and that's going to be all about answering the question, where is this church going? So I'm excited for that. I hope you'll all come back for that. But first... I have one more round of Old Testament, New Testament, or not in the Bible for you today. This is something we've done throughout this series, and I've shared various things and asked you if the thing that I share is from the Old Testament, the New Testament, or not in the Bible. Today, the theme is events. So I'll share an event, and you tell me where you think it comes from. Here we go. The first one. A man falls asleep while listening to a long-winded preacher, then tumbles out of a window. New Testament, you're like, doesn't that happen here? New Testament. <laughs> All right. Yes, that's, that's a story we get in Acts chapter 20. Paul is about to leave town, and so he decides to just keep preaching on and on and on. And around midnight, a man named Eutychus is sitting in the window, and he falls out of the window. Three stories, uh, and then Paul goes and heals him, so all is okay at the end of that story. <laughs> Next... Moses takes animals into the ark two by two. I heard Old Testament and not in the Bible. It's a little bit of a trick question because it was Noah. It was Noah that took the animals into the ark. All right. Number three, a bald man is mocked by a youth group. Let's see what the answer is. Old Testament. This is the story of Elisha when he took on the prophetic ministry of Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 2. And as he is heading out, there are a group of youth that come and and mock him for being bald. And this is incidentally one of the favorite passages for youth pastors. They use it as a threat because when this man was mocked, bears came out of the woods and attacked (laughs) attacked those that were mocking. So... All right, here's another one. A dragon sleeps in a pile of gold. Hmm. Uh, okay, here, let's, let's check it out. Not in the Bible. That was the hobbits. That was not the Bible. <laughs> All right, let's, let's try another one. A seven-headed dragon is hurled down to earth. New te- oh, yeah, yeah, that was good. New Testament. This comes from Revelation chapter 12. It's a highly symbolic story of Satan losing a great battle in heaven. And so that's a really fun story. And then, uh, <laughs> and then finally, a disembodied hand writes an ominous message on the palace wall. Old Testament, yes, this comes from Daniel chapter 5, and Daniel is filled with all sorts of supernatural, amazing things that, that happen in that book. So I hope you've enjoyed this very fun way of getting to know a little bit of what's in the Bible and what's not. And with that, I want to share our phrase for today with all of you. And today's going to be a little different than some of the other weeks in this series. The phrase that I'm going to share is one that is not found in the Bible, 
but it is one that is used in churches all over our country today. It is a phrase that is largely absent from Christian teaching up until the 20th century, and yet it has become a focal point for Christian teaching in America from the 20th century on. Now, I'm not bringing this phrase up. This is how it's different. I'm not bringing this phrase up because I think it's an unbiblical phrase. In fact, I'm going to argue that it actually is a biblical statement. But on the other hand, I also want to say that the way we use this phrase sometimes gives us an incomplete picture of what God's plan is for our world and for our lives. So are you wondering what the phrase is today? All right, here it is. Personal relationship with Jesus. In the contemporary church, we ask all the time, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Do you have a person? I have a personal relationship with Jesus. Why do we do that when it's not in the Bible? Well, first, let me say that we do it. We have really good reasons for doing it because though the words are not found in Scripture, the concept is all over the place in God's Word. So let's start with this. From beginning to end, the Bible tells the story of a God who desires intimacy with those he has created. We see it in the Garden of Eden when God comes walking into the garden looking for Adam and Eve. We see it several chapters later with the beginning of the story of Abraham when God wanted to to start a plan that would save the entire world He began it not with some huge cosmic explosion in the sky, but by choosing one person to have a relationship with, Abraham. We see it in the book of Psalms, where we have so many different prayers that are recorded of people desiring intimacy and closeness and relationship with God. Words like these found in Psalm 42. Let me read them for you. These are the first two verses. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? The intimate prayers preserved in Scripture for us like this reveal a God who wants to be known and in relationship with those he created. God's desire for intimacy continues. We see it throughout the New Testament and the story of Jesus. We see it in the close relationships that he formed with 12 individuals and other friends that he had along the way. We see it in the personal encounters he had with people from all walks of life and and all over the place in his ministry. He talked to the people nobody would talk to. He touched the people nobody would touch. He cried and he mourned with those who were grieving the loss of a loved one. And he laughed with children. He ate with people. He walked with people. He shared stories with people. And ultimately, he gave his life so that we could all have a relationship with him and be in relationship with him for all of eternity. Jesus also told stories that conveyed how he cares about not just the whole of humanity, but individuals as well. Here's one parable that's found in Luke chapter 15. Jesus says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. 
I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And so there's so much to the story, and we don't have time to go into all of it today. But what we see is a God who will pursue the individual, will pursue the one. The very next parable that Jesus tells is about finding a single lost coin. And right after that, we get the parable of the prodigal son, or the parable of the lost son, who is the one who comes back to his father. And so throughout Jesus' teaching, we find a God who rejoices when just one person comes to faith in him. We see God caring about individuals. So given all of this evidence from Scripture and much, much more that we don't have time to go into today, we can say with confidence that yes, God indeed desires a personal relationship with all of his children. And so if your only experience with with faith or religion is that you have been in these places where God is presented as this distant deity who was not interested in you and was more interested in just giving abstract doctrine and abstract rules to, to the world to try to control it, the teaching of Scripture, this big story, can be a real breath of fresh air because it reveals a God who desires intimacy with you who wants to be in relationship and cares about you individually. I've had a number of people in my life teach me about what it means to have a close personal relationship with God, and I've taken pieces from different people. One of these people was really somebody you would not suspect to teach about intimacy with God, and I only knew him for a short period of time. So when I was in college and I was traveling with a worship team, we were going from one camp to the next, camp after camp after camp, all summer long, and we would lead worship, and then we would counsel the kids in the cabin. And I met this individual at a camp in New Mexico for junior high students, and he was not what you would expect in a camp counselor. Let me just say this. He was very imposing. I, when I first looked at him, he was at least 6'6". He had a gnarly beard and just this hard exterior. And, and he just looked like somebody, he was built like an ox. I mean, it was just somebody that you would not expect to be at a camp like this. On one of the first nights we were there, he started telling me his story. And it turns out that this man had been the head of a motorcycle gang. And he started going into what had happened in that gang when, that he was leading. And every evil you can imagine was happening in that group of people. And let me just say that he should probably be serving multiple life sentences for what he's done. I remember thinking, how did this guy get through the screening process to be a camp counselor for junior high camp? I mean, what are these people thinking? Don't they do background checks? Well, when you got past all of that, you began to see a man whose life had been transformed. It had been completely changed because somewhere along the way he had met Christ. And it was his prayer life that stood out to me. I'll never forget it. This man who had had a very difficult life, he didn't have a very positive father figure in his life. But this is how he started his prayers. He always started by calling out to God and saying, Daddy. So this man who, who was this hardened criminal, this man who didn't have a father figure in his life, 
became a man who had such intimacy with his heavenly father that he found a heavenly father that that cared about him unconditionally. And he had such intimacy that he could begin his prayers by saying, daddy. And you could almost see this man crawling into the lap of his God and just saying those words. It was such a beautiful picture of a personal relationship to me. My prayer is that everybody here would find that personal relationship with God, to find that kind of intimacy. And if you don't know how to do that, I want to encourage you to just start simply. Start by reading God's Word, and if you don't have a Bible, we'll give you one today. We have some in the cafe. And by praying simple prayers to God. God's Word, this is how He reveals His character to us. It's how we get to know Him. Prayer is our direct line of communication to the God of the universe. And if you don't know how to pray, I encourage you to take a page out of this former hell's angel out of his prayer book and start by addressing God in a very personal and loving way. Don't worry about getting all the words right. Don't, you don't need to say these and thous. Use your own words. Tell God about your biggest dreams, your biggest joys, your fears, and your failures your hopes, and your struggles. Be honest with them. Jesus has made it possible for us to go straight to God. We don't have to go through a priest anymore. Jesus is our mediator. That is what is taught throughout the New Testament. And so we have this privilege. I don't think we realize the privilege that we have to have a permanent seat in the throne room of the king just waiting for us. May we not take May we not take that for granted. May we really begin to understand what we have in prayer. So even though this term, personal relationship with Jesus, is not found in the Bible, I want to affirm today, and I want you to know that it is absolutely a biblical concept, that we have a God who wants a personal relationship with us and pursues us in that way. But I also want you to know that God also has something more for us. There's more to faith than just the personal relationship. See, sometimes in the church, we get into the habit of saying, it's all about a personal relationship with Jesus. Or we say that we view it as the finish line. The personal relationship is the finish line. But the reality is the personal relationship is the starting line. And it's a part of our of our journey of faith, but it's not the entire story. And I want to share that sometimes when we use the word personal, it can lead to some misunderstandings of what this relationship is all about. So let me tell you what personal does not mean in this context. Personal does not mean private, where faith is just something I always do on my own. It's just me and Jesus, and I don't need anybody else. Now, there are certainly things that Jesus told us to do in private as part of our faith, but he also encourages us to be a part of a community of people who are living out this life of faith together. And personal, in this context, it doesn't mean self-centered. Jesus preached a very other-centered gospel. And so if our language of personal relationship leads into a place of self-absorption, then it's leading us in the wrong direction. And personal doesn't mean individualized. 
In individualized faith, my faith, my beliefs, the things that I think I'm supposed to do, they are tailored to my personal wants and desires rather than on the actual teaching of Scripture. In individualized faith, I can have my own personal morality, which may or may not line up with what God wants for me in my life. In order to protect against all of these things, it's helpful for us to view our personal relationship within the bigger picture. You see, when Jesus came to this earth, he had something even bigger in mind. And let me tell you, it is something exciting. It is something that inspires more hope and more purpose and more direction for our lives than our language of personal relationship alone does. In order to understand this bigger picture, I I need to share a phrase with you that is found in the Bible. In fact, it is found a lot. The phrase is, the kingdom of God. Let me give you a sense of how important this was to Jesus. There are 103 sayings of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, and Luke alone that talk about the kingdom or the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, which he uses synonymously throughout those books. The first recorded saying of Jesus' public ministry was repent for the kingdom of God has come near. When Jesus wanted to teach his disciples about prayer, the second petition in that prayer was thy kingdom come. The kingdom was the central message of Jesus' teaching of his ministry. Just look at these two verses from Matthew. First one is Matthew 4.23. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And then Matthew 9.35 is almost identical. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Consider also that there is an entire chapter, a large chapter in Matthew's gospel, chapter 13, that's devoted to parables of the kingdom. Six parables in all that each begin with, the kingdom of heaven is like. And consider also that that Jesus, many of his other parables, talked about the kingdom as well. Jesus talked about the kingdom all of the time. When Jesus proclaimed his primary purpose for coming to humankind, he didn't talk about a personal relationship, although that was certainly a part of it. What he did talk about was the kingdom of God. So what did Jesus mean when he talked about the kingdom? This is a hard question for many of us to to answer sometimes because it feels like such an abstract concept. Perhaps the reason we don't talk about it as much as we, we should is that we don't know what to make of it. We don't know how to wrap our minds around this concept. Well, I couldn't possibly give you everything that there is to know about the kingdom in the short amount of time that we have left today. But I do want to help you begin to see this bigger picture if you don't already. This bigger picture, this exciting picture of what God is up to in our world. In order to do this, I want you to imagine a castle in a far-off time and a far-off place. This castle is where the royal family lives. 
and the, and the monarchy that, that is involved in this, it's not like that of William and Kate and where they have more impact on pop culture and fashion than they do on ruling the land. Have they announced the name for their daughter yet? I haven't heard. No? Okay. We're, we're all waiting with bated breath. <laughs> this kingdom, the one we're talking about, is it's different. It's ruled by a mighty king. The king is in charge. What he says goes. His will is done. He's a ruler who wants what's best whether, for everybody, whether they're rich or poor, men or women, whether they're nobles or commoners. This is the kingdom. This is the idea of the kingdom of God. The kingdom describes the place where God is king, where the things that happen are the things that reflect his will, where God is in charge and in control. And the kingdom of God is all about life as it was intended to be. If you don't hear anything else about what what the kingdom is this morning, I want you to hear that. The kingdom is about life as it was intended to be. Jesus' ministry was all about the coming of God's kingdom into our world. To drive this point home, says Reggie McNeil, Jesus healed people of disease, dysfunction, and disfigurement to show us the kingdom in action and to demonstrate God's intention to redeem human existence in every dimension, physical, emotional, and spiritual Perhaps you noticed in those verses that we read from Matthew's gospel a little while ago that the preaching of the kingdom came along with the healing of sickness and disease. These were signs of the kingdom of God being present, not just a spiritual reality, but one that impacts all of human existence. And the New Testament teaches that this kingdom is both here now, but it's also something that is in the future as well. It's now and not yet. On the one hand, we're waiting for the kingdom to come in all of its fullness. On the other hand, the kingdom is present here and now, initiated by Jesus Christ. Now we get a glimpse of it. Whenever good things happen in our world, things that line up with God's original plan for humanity. And in the future, we will know it completely when Christ returns. The kingdom of God is going to make everything right. And I mean everything. It will reach across all of created order. It will bring in a world without hate crimes, without racial tension and rioting, without terrorist attacks. It'll bring about a world without earthquakes and tsunamis and blood-borne illnesses. This is the world that God is working towards. This is God's plan for our world, and it is good news, isn't it? So you see, God's plan is even bigger than a personal relationship. He wants to restore all things. His mission is one that will fulfill the greatest hopes and desires of humankind. Hopes for justice and peace and freedom, and healing, and goodness, and joy. Thus, Scripture teaches us that salvation is not just a relationship that we have now that we hope will benefit us sometime in the future, but it is about the inbreaking of God's kingdom into our world and the restoration of all things. So what does this mean for us today? 
McNeil writes, Jesus wants us to pray for, deeply desire, and dedicate ourselves to seeing the kingdom as it operates in heaven, visible and active in our daily experience here on earth. It means living the life that God intends and helping others enjoy the same opportunity. So you see, the personal relationship that we have with Jesus can enter us into a much larger reality, help us to see as God sees. It can help us begin to care about the things that God cares about. To go back to our theme from Easter this year, we are rescued, but we are not rescued for our personal relationship alone. We are rescued to participate in the rescue of others. We are saved so that we can be a part of God's kingdom work in our world. How do we do that? Well, we participate in the kingdom whenever we choose things that lead to life over things that diminish life. It happens when we help a child learn to read, when we deliver health care to the sick, when we take in a foster child, when we provide clean drinking water to somebody who's thirsty or food to somebody who's hungry, when we help at-risk youth, when we help adults create sustainable income. It happens when we care for the elderly or when we raise a child in love and grace and compassion and faith. It happens when we create music and art and literature that point somebody to a reality that is bigger than themselves. It happens when we tackle injustice, when we reduce poverty, when we alleviate suffering, when we love our enemies, and when we forgive just as the Lord has forgiven us. And yes, it happens when we invite others to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's all part of a big picture. God's big plan for our world. A plan for his kingdom to come. His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let me sum things up like this today. Even though the phrase personal relationship with Jesus doesn't appear in the Bible, it is absolutely a biblical statement. God wants a relationship with each and every one of us. And this personal relationship is part of a bigger plan, a bigger story, the plan to bring life back, life as it was intended to be. This was the mission of Jesus of Nazareth, and it's the mission of his church today. So may you embrace this big story. May you have a deep and intimate relationship with our God. And may that relationship help you find your place in the kingdom story. Let us pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word to us today. How we really went from beginning to end. Looked at things in Genesis all the way to Revelation. We thank you that the God who created all that we see, you, that you desire to know not just abstract humanity or all of humanity, but individuals, that you desire to know each of us, that you know each hair in our head, that you know us by name. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to embrace that and to pursue that relationship with you because we know that you are pursuing us. You are running after us. 
And Lord, help us once we enter that relationship with you to see the bigger reality, see the bigger plan and the bigger purpose of your kingdom, and to get involved and to find that hope and meaning that we've always been looking for. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.